Hey, Redbirds, it's Leah Johnson. It's now time for your fifth quarter sports talk. It's Will's fifth quarter special, and here's your host, Will Farlow. Welcome into the 22nd episode of the Sports Podcast that captures everything you want to know as the buzzer sounds at the end of any sports game. It's Will Farlow here with you tonight on December 5th, 2018, welcoming listeners to the 22nd episode of Will's fifth quarter special. I'm here tonight with my guest co-host on the show for the first time, James Kalianis. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you, Will. Glad to be here today. There's a lot to talk about, James, so we're glad to have you here with us for your debut on the fifth quarter oh, sports yeah, definitely. talk. We have a very exciting show for you guys tonight as Hector Carrion joined me this afternoon to work on the feature for the collegiate segment of episode 22 to answer these various questions in Illinois State Athletics. The Illinois State women's basketball team beat Austin P last night on Doug Collins' court. How can they continue that winning mentality moving forward? The Illinois State men's basketball team was handed a tough 75-65 loss at home this past Saturday against the visiting San Diego State Aztecs from the Mountain West Conference. How can the Rebels bounce back tonight against the University of Illinois Chicago Flames and this Saturday as they host the University of Ole Miss? The Chicago Bears fell in overtime to the New York Giants this past Sunday at MetLife Stadium 30-27. How can the Bears bounce back this upcoming Sunday against the Los Angeles Rams? The Chicago White Sox reportedly sent Jim Tomey and their recruiting team on November 19th to help recruit superstar free agent outfielder Bryce Harper prior to the 2018 winter meetings. What does this mean for the future of the White Sox organization? With the winter meetings beginning on Sunday as teams and agents and GMs join to sign or trade players, James and I will give our predictions about what the Southsiders can do this offseason both during the winter meetings and up to spring training. The show will close with the original fun segment of Will Sports Movement following brief updates before that segment on the Chicago Cubs offseason before the winter meetings along with regular season updates on the Chicago Bulls as they follow. We're going to start with the collegiate segment. Both the men's and women's basketball programs in Illinois State have their seasons off to an interesting start at this point. I sat down with Hector Carrion for the collegiate segment of episode 22. So we are into the collegiate segment of the Will's fifth quarter special show and I'm here with Hector Carrion who has graciously... Uh, taking some time out of his very busy schedule. So, uh, Hector, welcome in. Thanks for having me again, you know, second time. I'm excited. So, there's a lot of basketball to talk about. I know there's, you know, obviously something I have to start with here. We have to congratulate the women's volleyball team on the campus of Illinois State University for an exciting uh, finish this season. Now, it wasn't the one they wanted. They were in the tournament, though, against Cincinnati, and I was streaming that game. It was a lot of really close differentials. Uh, uh, WZND, I didn't get to go cover it, but it was still cool seeing uh, two of our team members go do that. So just congratulations from Will's fifth quarter special to the volleyball team, uh, those five seniors that uh, finished on a high note. Best of luck moving forward. Courtney Pence as well getting named uh, the fourth highest all-time in uh, the NCAA for Diggs. So uh, a shout-out to the volleyball team there to start things off. But we're going to start with the women's basketball, Hector. Ladies first, as they say. We have to be gentlemen. Yes, we do. So they played at home last night against Austin P University. Now I know you were gonna try and make that game, but you weren't able to. Yeah. Um, duty calls on the homework, like we were just talking about with you. Um, they won, but in my opinion, it was a very close game. It there were, a lot of the star players for Austin P were getting into quick, quick foul trouble, which yeah. is you know a gimme for the Redbirds. You know that's oh we get the ball back. You know we get the free throws. Now they made the free throws, but. It looked like so much miscommunication. I mean, they have three players out. I know one of the players I have a class with, uh, Katrina Beck, and I were talking about it yesterday before the game. She had, like, a sprained ankle, it looked like, but all of a sudden she's on the court. So that's just credit to the veterans. But after a win like that, what are you seeing from the team this year that is now 3-4, and four, 
before they came home and played two games. What do you like about this women's basketball team this year? You know, it, it's definitely a um, a different looking team than we saw last year on the court. Um, you know, they uh, brought in Kristen Gillespie, brought in really talented la- ladies. Um, I know. I was on a call earlier this year. Um, really impressed with the way TT Magic is looks out. Oh, there the girls the like lights out. Um, she's super quick. That first step is super quick. You know, it's hard for people to play defense on her when she's running when the Redbird offense is running through her. Um, which is always something good to see. You know, um, they uh, brought back Simone Goods, who most of the time looks really unstoppable down low. Not In many, the post, incredible. Yeah, the rebounding. Not, there's not many many other women out there that, um, at least that I've seen uh, play ISU, be able to really try to even come close to containing Simone Goods down low. Um, like you said, they bring back some really good vets, some older people. Um, like you said, Katrina back, Paige Saylor, Franny Corrigan is back. So, you know, um, really the only loss from last year's Redbird basketball women's team is, is Hannah Green. Oh, she was great in the post. Just which incredible. Is, yeah, which is a huge loss. Like, that's a really big hole to fill. But from what I've seen so far this year for the Redbirds, is they're they're doing a good job of filling that hole, and they're they're really impressing me with the way they've looked early on here. And you know, haven't gotten into conference play yet, but they're I yeah, think still they're, a lot of basketball. Yeah, they're looking pretty good out there early on this year. And you mentioned some of the players, Paige Saylor, uh, Megan Talbot's another one. They have a few big injuries now, right now. Now I was on the call with uh, good old Scotty Riz, Scott Rizala, um for WZND last week. Uh, for women's basketball against Oakland. That was a very good game, some good women's basketball there. Um, what I liked the most about it was seeing those youngsters because uh, players like Lexi Kadalka, Kale Newland are having to step up right now because there's injuries. You know, we have a minor hand injury to Paige Saylor, who um, Randy Armstrong, the uh, SID for women's basketball. The SIDs just do such a great job here at Illinois State. We just have to say that right off the bat. They yeah, just do incredible work. Very good, yeah. They make our jobs a lot easier. Oh, ten times easier. Uh, but I talked to Randy before the game, you know, just to make sure we're preparing and everything. Talked about some of the minor injuries, but Megan has been healing very well. I know I've been talking to a few of the players when I see them on campus, just, you know, to see how they're doing. Because, you know, yes, they're athletes. They're all higher up than us a little bit, but... They're students just like us. We could talk to them about anything like that. These injuries have hindered the Redbirds. And last night, we were possibly going to see Katrina Beck sitting, which would do a lot of, you know, detrimental loss at the guard position. You know, with Mary Crompton out, who can just really shoot the three. Um, and especially in that North Dakota game, that home opener, she was lights out from the three-point line, mm-hmm. good rebounding. Now, that's a good thing with Katrina Beck, um, you know, even though she's going to graduate this year. That's something that Paige Taylor can develop with. Uh, she's working on her shooting still. But it's good those two are minor injuries, but still uh, the Megan Talbot one's a big loss. But this leads into my next question with you. What do you like about the young Redbird players? What player um, of the newcomers has standed out the most to you? Um, so, you know, injuries can almost always hinder a team season, especially when um, it happens to your key players, as we've seen the Redbird, like it happened to the Redbird so far early on here. But I really like how you said these young women are stepping up. You know, we have freshmen, sophomores who really didn't see any playing time last year, so it's really they're still kind of like freshmen on the court. Um, they're really stepping up, and they're really holding their own. Um, I've been most impressed with, we talked about her already, T.T. Magic. Just the way she can out there, she can be out there on the court commanding the offense, you know. She's a freshman, and you, Chris and Gillespie has has the opportunity to run her offense through a player that talented in TT Magic. Being yeah. that young, um, that's always something you really like to see. You know, first year here, and the fact that the offense can be ran through her, and you can rely on her as the Redbirds can. 
is something huge. It's not only for this year, but continuing on, continuing on, excuse me, um, into these next three years you'll have her. Um, you can really build a team around her, and you can definitely count. If you can count on her already, just imagine where she's going to be her junior and senior year. Well, and last night, too, she was the main scorer for the Redbirds, as I mentioned. The The team they played was pretty good. I don't know too much about Austin P. Uh, you know, athletics, just kind of uh, from last night's game. Pretty decent crowd. You know, it's a Tuesday night, so it's kind of weird how actually there's a lot of men's and women's basketball games on Tuesdays this year, usually yeah. Wednesday. So that's, scheduling is kind of weird, but... The way the games were looking, it was uh, 15 uh, to 12. The Redbirds uh, were down in the first quarter. Uh, Redbirds uh, in scoring second quarter led by three, 15 to 12. Uh, but the Redbirds ran away within the fourth quarter. You know, as I mentioned, the foul trouble uh, with Osby. But for me, the youngster that I'm going to pick, uh, she's in. She's injured. But it. Uh, I was going to pick Mary Crompton, but I haven't. Still want to see some more of her uh, this year before I make that decision. Yeah, it's got to be Lexi Kadelka. Uh, that's a young woman on the Redbird team that's uh, still new. Like uh, you're just talking about TT Magic, a good key piece for the future to go with players like uh, Paige Taylor. And we're talking about Talbot like she's a senior. She's still a junior yeah, as well. So and uh, Franny Corrigan's great off the bench, but she'll eventually get into that starting role. I think when the time comes right for her. Um, but. Kadelka's doing great. You know, I like her inside post play. She's better defensively, I've noticed, in the post in certain games than offense because usually they'll go to Simone Goods and uh, Katrina Beck or Raya Livingston to drive the ball inside. But Kadelka's been laying some threes on the, uh, you know, perimeter part of the court. And I just like her defensive play a lot. That's really helped the Rebels, especially last night. She didn't play too many minutes in that second half, but it's uh, just credit to her. Kale Newlin's another one as well. That was kind of my second choice in that, but... The young core of the Redbird women's team is just incredible. But since uh, this is probably the last question we'll have about the women's team, we still have to talk about the men's side, of course. We can't leave them hanging. Uh, what are you hoping they do the rest of the season at this point? Like, you know, when the injuries officially work themselves out, but how can they continue to maybe work through those in their next matchup on the road against uh, Maryville in just a day or two? They have to make a pretty quick trip after last night. Yeah, you know, they they just got to keep fighting, you know. Injuries are going to happen. You, It's tough to avoid injuries because they happen to literally everyone. You can't not get injured. Um, so, you know, they're gonna, things like that are going to happen. They just need to fight through them, how they have been, you know. Um, and they have their young their young women are really stepping up, which is something you really like to see, especially when you try to look, th- look at things um, – when you look towards the future for this program, exactly. when you have your younger your younger players stepping up already this early in the season, and some their first season here at Illinois State, um, they're stepping up already, and that it just shows how how bright the future is for this Redbird women's team. Or they follow the Gar Pax method, younger, more athletic, the way it's looking. And I mean, it could definitely work. You know, like obviously, we'll go a little tangent here. <laughs> might not work that well. In professional basketball, yeah. but younger and athletic could definitely work in collegiate basketball. Oh, especially, and, yeah. You know, and it looks like the Redbirds are trying to do that. You know, they're young and they're athletic, and it it shows like it's paying off a little bit. You know, they are early on; they've only played about seven games. You said I think they were three yeah. or four, so it's still super early. But in those seven games, you know, they even when they lose, they still look good out there on the court. And uh, I, I'm wrong. We're playing Maryville at home December 16th. Sadly. I will not be here for that game, as on a somber note, this is my last regular episode doing on campus at Illinois State. Next time it will be as an alum, as I'm... That game's uh, the day after my graduation. Uh, We'll get into that on the next Facebook Live, of course, as 
I, they're playing Northern Kentucky on the road. That's a correction from my last mention. That'll be at Highland Heights, Kentucky, uh, 6 p.m. tip-off Friday. And Sunday they come quickly back home to Bloomington Normal to play the Maryville Saints. Now we're going to go over to the men's side in a game. Hector was sadly not able to join me on my last call with Zach Wilson. Filled in pretty well for you. We're glad you're feeling better, though, Hector. You made it yeah. um, to the, the show this week feeling much better. We're glad you're doing better, man. Thank you. Thank you. And I was. I was. I, I was. In studio, your call. So I wasn't there with you. I didn't get the chance to we be. We wished you were there with us, with you, though, man. I got to listen to the entire thing, and it was it was a good one. Well, much appreciated. We always appreciate your help on the show as well. But we have to talk about the uh, game nobody on campus has talked about yet. I mean, I remember uh, going up to Dan Moore at the end of the game. He you, he's a very well respected coach. He's probably one of the nicest guys I've met. Um, you know, that's coached men's basketball before. You know. And uh, he didn't even want to talk about it. So you got to respect that. He's holding in, you know, professional standpoint. Yeah. He's able to keep himself in control, which is great. You know, he did that as a player. But we lost to San Diego State at home this past Saturday, 75-65. to Now, this is a team, and I talked about it in my pregame for that matchup. They got some really good size, and uh, Mitch Stangle actually touched on this, which I thought was really good. Uh, the way that the Rebels were just outplayed. Um, you know, in terms of defense, Dan Moore has always prided himself on defense, and it was the Redbird offense going into like mid second half, seventeen for fifty field goal percentage, which is not what we're used to seeing with the Redbirds. No, yeah, definitely. You know, usually the Redbirds come out um, very efficient from the field, whether it's from beyond the arc or down it, getting the ball inside. Um, so we that's the first time we really see the Redbird offense play the way they did against San Diego State. But you know, it's tough. Um, Dan Muller has made a point as we've seen in this uh conf- this pre-conference schedule you know they're bringing in really tough opponents they brought in a Florida Gulf Coast team who's really good incredible game that was they brought in a Brigham Young University team who's really good they brought in San Diego State who's really good you know that we still have Ole Miss coming in we're oh, going to we're, U- we're ready for that game um the Redbirds are going to uh UCF in Orlando over winter break to play a really good UCF Knights team so you know he really revamped this um, this non-conference schedule, and it's showing, and it's going to be tough to go out there and beat these really good teams. And we've seen the Redbirds come out on top against Florida Gulf Coast and BYU. So it was a tough, it was a tough loss against San Diego State. But there is definitely some positives you can take out of that. Yeah, the team wasn't very efficient from the field. They really were outplayed. But you got to you got to look at San Diego State, a really good team. They're out of out of the Mountain West Conference. Yeah, and when we this, lost to Nevada last year, too. So that's, yeah, this is and Nevada, nationally ranked team. So, you know, yeah. this San Diego State team plays in a really good conference. You see them a lot in the NCAA tournament as well, so it, they're no slouch. So, you know, they the Redbirds did get outplayed, but there is some positive stick out of that game. You know, you can't, you can't define your season on that one loss there. Um, and, you know, and I'm sure Dan Muller recognizes that he addressed exactly. he addressed the issues that needed to be addressed after that game and the Redbirds hopefully correct those issues they're back in action tonight in Chicago against UIC so a we'll very s- big match yeah we'll see how they come out in this game which is their first game since that San Diego State game so we'll see I think what we see tonight can really really show us what the Redbirds took out of that loss against San Diego State yeah no I I agree completely San Diego State had some really solid players McDaniels was one Mitchell had a, a lot of really good size they they had some great shooting. I, I know those two guards I looked at was uh, Helm, Hemsley and uh, Watson. Uh, they're two main backcourt guys. And the coach, surprisingly, going over their last uh, press conference after they beat Jackson State at their home court in uh, San Diego, he said they needed to make more progress. I think they 
under uh, undervalued their uh, approach so far, the way they played Saturday. And I'm going to make a quick tangent to what we saw with volleyball. I know we talked about volleyball a lot on this show throughout their season this year um, in Redbird country. But something Coach uh, Leah Johnson talked a lot about with this team, which I think compares to what you were saying about the men's team, you know, they had a lot of harder non-conference teams as well that translated into their conference play. I mean, it was just electric, that winning streak, that continued chemistry with young players that are still getting new to those situations. That is probably what we're going to see with the men's basketball team. But I have to admit, my uh, player to watch was surprisingly Tinsley this year. Now, no, it's no surprise, actually. He's probably one of the best forwards on the team below guys like Phil Fame, Malik Arbro in terms of good leadership, uh, consistent shooting, and just working his butt off to get that shot back when he doesn't have it. But his teammate from uh, Lakeland College is just coming into his own with the Rebels. Josh Jefferson has just been electric from three at that San Diego State game when they couldn't find threes from Keyshawn Evans. Keyshawn brought it with the passing still, but it was Josh Jefferson that took over for that in the three points. So with these newcomers, we talked about the newcomers with the women's team. What are your favorite newcomers for the men's basketball team at this point? Well, yeah, you already touched on one of them. Josh Jefferson has just been shooting lights out from three. And you coming into the season, I didn't know much about him. Didn't know that he was going to be the lights out three-point shooter that he was. And that's really elevating the Redbird offense to that next level, that level they need to be at to potentially get into the NCAA tournament there. But I'm really impressed with, impressed with Zach Copeland. Oh, Zach Copeland's He's, a great guard. You know, some can even argue that Zach Copeland has made more of an impact on this Redbird team this year than Malik Yarbrough has been making. I could actually agree with that from what I've seen, yes, definitely. Yeah, looking at, because you, you can look at last year's team, you had the big three, you had Keyshawn Evans, Phil Fane, Malik Yarbrough. This year, you were expecting those big three to be back with some additional pieces around them. And so far this year, the big three for the Redbirds is Zach Copeland, Phil Fane, and Malik Yarbrough. Yes. So... He's just been out there, you know, another player. They, Dan Muller runs his offense through Zach Copeland. Zach Copeland, a very good shooter, gets can drive in, very, can finish strong too, great passer. So, you know, I love what I've seen from Zach Copeland. I love what I've seen from Josh Jefferson. Matt Chastain has been out there making him an impact. He did get hurt, um, not against San Diego State, against BYU, did hit, hurt his ankle, so he didn't see any action. Hopefully he's going to come back. So okay, hopefully he comes back. Yeah, defense good. Um so, you know, those are three guys that didn't see any action last year in a Redbird uniform coming in and making a huge impact so far in this season. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I know we, we're going to talk about the UIC game, obviously, tonight that you mentioned uh, coming up over in the Windy City. The Flames are a, a lower conference team but still play some pretty good basketball along with the, them and DePaul, or the, along with Loyola, the teams that are really fun to watch in Chicago. Sadly, the Bulls aren't there yet, yeah. but they'll get there. Maybe some of those players will get to the Bulls. but. Yeah. We got to touch on, I'm going to ask you a little bit about UIC, but also if you could foreshadow what you want to see at home against Ole Miss. This is a matchup Dan Muller has been praying, you know, praying on that Christmas star, you know, I want to face Ole Miss at home. You know, he's like talking on Twitter and stuff. We saw that. That was a very, you know, well-respected approach. He's trying to not just, you know, as a coach, try and get his team better uh, opponents at home for the Redbird fans, but uh, for the the athletic program as a whole you know it's future you know the home games they had this year he was trying to do his best for everyone else and not himself the way it looked you know the way people could say about some of those tweets he did but what do you think about the UIC game tonight but also what do you want to see at home this Saturday against Ole Miss how can Dan Moeller the game he asked for this Saturday get what he was hoping 
So, yeah, we'll start with uh, tonight's game against UIC. I just want the Redbirds to come out strong. You know, they, they did not look good on the offensive side of the ball against San Diego State. I want that to change. I want them to be the efficient scoring team that we have come to know as Redbird basketball fans. Um, and I'm looking for an, that defense to improve. You know, that's really been the main issue for the Redbirds this year is that that defense, you know, when they're in the man, there's a lot of holes in that defense. So when they switch over to zone, really solid and you know you can't it's tough to play man the whole game and stuff to play zone the whole game so you got to play both and you know the t- the Redbirds need to toughen up when they're playing man that's when the other teams really really pad the scoreboard if the Redbirds can tighten the holes up playing that man defense um I think they'll have no problem coming out of Chicago with a victory against the Flames today and if you look forward to that old Miss game you know that might be considered Dan Muller might be in the locker room telling his guys this is a must win this we have a high we have a high quality team a team with a lot of prestige behind their name coming into our house we need to be them especially and, with so many fans coming on social there, media yeah, as well there's going to be a lot Dan of Miller fans there. You know, yeah we have the it's Dan a Mueller deal right there, yeah, that, game. That, that game is and it's not a must win looking at the season but maybe like team morale wise it is a must win you know you have a big team coming coming in your home court that's a, that could be another big win. You can add them to the list of, to Florida Gulf Coast and BYU, and that could really catapult this season for this Redbird team. You know, that can really start that spark. You know, you talked about it with the volleyball team. That's really what started them. They played those preseason tournaments with nationally ranked teams, and they were going there and winning games. If the Redbirds can bring in those nationally known teams, those nationally recognized teams, and beat them, you know, I think things are looking real bright for this season for this Redbird team. Couldn't agree more. And as we mentioned, UIC will be hosting the Illinois State Redbirds and a coach in Dan Moore that's hoping last Saturday's game against San Diego State is in the rearview mirror as they're in the Windy City tonight, 6 p.m. tip-off tonight. You can catch that on NBC Sports Chicago. And the big game Saturday, as Hector mentioned, Ole Miss, social media day for the Redbirds at 7 p.m. tip-off. Dan Moore, Bobblehead, if you get there early and uh, their next home game after that is Cleveland State, December 16th. So we want to thank Hector Carrion for coming in on short notice uh, for the uh, collegiate segment. And uh, this will be, yes, the last time I'm able to do this with you and anyone else on campus as a student. But we will be getting a lot of you in still on Collins. You know, y'all still be here uh, covering it over at WZND. Uh, in my spirit, I will be. But uh, we'll be definitely looking to you guys uh, to help us continue to talk Redbird sports from campus. So thank you for uh, joining us, Hector. And, no problem. Uh, good luck studying for those finals, man. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, just want to take a quick second to congratulate you on your time here at Illinois oh, State. Oh, thank here you at ZND. so much. You know, um, thank you. You've really made an impact on a lot of people. You might, you may not know it. You know, it might take a while for you to realize it, but you've definitely made an impact on a lot of people down here. You've showed us how to do things the right way. And um, a lot of us are going to carry that. Well, hopefully the, the right our... way or else we'd have problems. Here. Yeah, you know, a lot of us are going to carry that for the rest of our professional lives, especially in the, the industry that we're in. So, you know, just thank you. Congratulations on making it. And, you know, the best of luck in your future endeavors. And hap- I'm I excited. have to carry it yeah. on, as your last name says, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Hector Carry on. There's little carry the on there. Yeah, you know, and I'm just excited to see where life takes you. Now we're going to head into the professional sports segment tonight. There's a lot to talk to in there. But we're going to start with the Chicago Bears, who... They had a tough loss, uh, 30-27 in overtime uh, against the New York Giants. James, that was a game that Bears fans expected us to win. Now, of course, Saquon Barkley, who, in my opinion, is one of the best up-and-coming young running backs in the NFL, uh, helped change that. And, of course, OBJ's throw to 
Russell Shepard down to the end zone. That was not my favorite play. Uh, but what are your thoughts on maybe what they could have uh, prevented in the loss, and how do they bounce back and sustain first in the NFC North against a tough opponent coming up like the LA Rams? What are you thinking? You know, I know that Chase Daniel kind of struggled last week a little bit, especially with holding onto the ball. He fumbled four different times. Um, Cody Whitehair, the center for the Bears, kind of had a little bit to play in that. But I feel like this week, coming up against the Rams, you're facing a really tough squad. They have one loss on the year. You're going to want Mitchell Trubisky back, and you're going to want him at the helm because I feel like Chase Daniel is a good backup quarterback, and he could probably keep them in the game, but Mitchell Trubisky is who's going to get you that victory. And he actually has been in full practice, actually, today. So they, I thought, just to interject on you there, I'm going to let you finish your point, of course, but... Uh, it's just an interesting report I found out just a few hours before a show. So yeah. I, I didn't even have time to script it. It just came out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, definitely. I really hope that Trubisky can play. I know the shoulder's been ailing him a little bit. Darn Harrison Smith of the Vikings. I know, really. But I feel like I feel like Trubisky, if he plays, they can really keep up with Jared Goff and the Rams. Yeah, and that's going to be really important. It's funny, though. I don't know if you remember from the offseason. Jared Goff is one of the players that helped tr- train with Mitchell Trubisky. Yes, they actually I think I do remember together, that. So, that, that'll probably be obviously mentioned in the broadcast. Good old Jeff Joniak with yeah. his facts from the past in the offseason. But I think the Bears have a good fight. It's going to be a battle. I know people say offenses, but I'm watching the defenses. Yes. I mean, that's something uh, a lot of people don't think about with the Rams, just their offense. Now, the offense did lose Cooper Cup, which I think is a very tough blow. He's a very underrated receiver in the oh, National yeah, Football League. Away. But the defenses, actually, a former Redbird went undrafted to the LA Rams. Good old mm-hmm. Dalton Keene from uh, the Redbird football team last yes. year. But. It, I think it's going to be a battle of defenses. Now, I'm going to ask you, before we head into our favorite part of the show tonight, what do you have, like, a scoring prediction for Sunday? Like, a projection and any, maybe, predictions of what could happen? You know, it's different because you're looking at, if you have Trubisky starting, I feel like it could be a high-scoring affair. Exactly, yeah. But you also need to look at, like you were saying, I agree, the defenses are a big thing. The Rams' defense has been doing very well the past couple weeks, and the Bears' defense has been the Bears' defense all year. So, really, you could see a high score or a low score. I'm going to go kind of more towards the middle few touchdowns each, maybe like 21 to like 14 or something like I that. Like I that. I think yeah. it's going to be towards the middle. You're not going to have like a full blowout like the Rams and Chiefs game from that Monday Night Football like a few weeks ago, even though they're two really top teams. But you know what? I think that you're going to get a decently scored scoring game, but nothing too extravagant. Yeah, I think I have it just as close, but I'm going to go 28 to 14. So okay. we're a little bit on the same mind track, but... I think it's going to be a Jordan Howard game. Now, I'm not, I'm not bashing Tariq Cohen. He's a great running back. Uh, I just want to see a little more Jordan Howard. We didn't see. Yes. Now, that's credit to the Giants' uh, defense, which just, you know, has a, they used to be highly touted. They spent $200 million on those players, so I'd, I, I'd bloody well hope they were. Oh, but, yeah. Um, we, we saw that $200 million against the Bears. I mean, they, they knew what they were coming into, but it's credit to Matt Nagy what he's done this season. I, I can't put into words uh, probably as well as he can how excited he is to face a guy like Sean McVay. Mm-hmm. Um, two young offensive minds facing off each other. I think it's a good game more than just Bears fans will be able to enjoy him out. Maybe what could be a possible playoff matchup. Now, who do you think is going to win, the Rams or the Bears? Who do you have? I'm going to go the Bears, but yes. like I said, I think it's going to come down to two scores. Uh, even Mitch coming back, he's going to have a little bit of rust just yeah. because he's been out for two weeks. We saw that with Coolio Mack. Yes, Mitch will play. Uh, I think Chase Daniel, he's uh, not a bad uh, backup, but it gave me some bad memories of what uh, 
if the listeners don't remember, Caleb Haney, former Bears yes, backup, I, that was starting what I was in uh, Oakland. Bears on the I remember the play on their own four yard line with two minutes left back when the Raiders were actually good before yeah. uh, John Gruden really screwed them up. But um, <laughs> and J- Jason Campbell, we could talk all day about the oh, Bears yeah, backup. Definitely. So we're gonna put a nix on that. But I, I think it's been an exciting game for the Bears. They're having a great season. So I don't I don't care if we lose in round one of the playoffs. Yes, I'd love to go to the Super Bowl, but. To do what the Bears are doing this first year with the new coach, yeah, uh, new offensive weapons, the way they're meshing has been incredible. Trey Burton, even if like guys like Allen Robinson don't stay, you know, at, throughout their contracts, I think guys like Taylor Gabriel and uh, Trey Burton will stay uh, hook, line, and sinker. Oh yeah, definitely. So that's going to be my, our predictions for the Bears. Uh, everyone, of course, will have their own. So I can't wait to hear um, after Sunday what people talk about with the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit up the. What uh, the Wheels fifth quarter special Twitter about some of your opinions and thoughts, as we always say. Hit up the Twitter after that Rams and uh, Bears game. I know I'll be posting some polls during the winter meetings. It's going to be so busy. And I guess I let the cat out of the bag, James, about what we're <laughs> talking about next. It is the Chicago White Sox offseason. And, James, the White Sox uh, made a good trade. So yes. I know we talked about that. Uh, we both work it over at WZND. I don't know. Um, tell the listeners what you do over there. Uh, with us. You're not news and sports, but you do something else. Yes, really I'm actually the music director over at WZND. Been in that position since May. Doing a great job taking yes. my random song request, oh, which yeah. is appreciated. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, James is not news and sports, but he, he has really good Sox opinion. And this is a very special episode, so I had to find not just a new fresh voice for the show like always, but I had to get that X Factor. And oh, I hear yeah. James is uh, Making sure I'm not the only diehard White Sox fan on uh, ISU campus. I'm glad to be able to talk about the White Sox with you, Will. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, so yeah. we're going to have to talk about first a rebuilding team, 100 losses. They go out of nowhere, trade Omar Nevarez, a catcher they got five years ago in the Rule 5 draft. We actually got another catcher in the Rule 5 draft, which I saw as the best base running ability I've ever seen in the White Sox uniform was Andre uh, Andre Nieto. Yes. But that was a while back. You know, He's obviously on a different route right now. Don't even know if he's still playing. He might be there somewhere, like where Gordon Beckham was in the minors all of a sudden in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, that's another story. But uh, getting Alex Calame, I didn't expect us to get him as in terms of reliever. I thought, okay, we're going to go for Edwin Diaz. Uh, just to credit Chuck Garfine and the White Sox Talk Podcast, they do a lot of great work. They actually, uh, hearing that show a lot inspired me uh, in a partial way to start this show. So mm-hmm. uh, a shout-out to them on the White Sox Talk Podcast, just doing great talk about the White Sox, keeping us, you and I, I'm sure, tune into that almost all the yes, time when we Chuck can. is a great analysis, He's too, even on incredible. NBC Sports. Good old uh, favorite of mine. So shout-out to Chuck Garfine and his crew on the Sox Talk Podcast and NBC Sports. But they talked a lot about that trade. You know, you got really good value for Omar Nevarez, uh to get Alex Calame. So I know we both talked about it, so you told me a bit about your thoughts on it, but – what were your thoughts? I know I remember you telling me about it first. What were your opening thoughts when you saw that notification about that deal? I was actually kind of surprised. I felt like Omar Narvaez is a catcher that they were going to use in the future. And obviously that Omar hasn't been the best defensive catcher. He's very underwhelming rate um, framing-wise. But he has an elite bat. He was definitely one of the best hitters in the entire league last year as a catcher. And I feel like he could definitely make the move over to first base to maybe... Interesting. I, I like that twist. I like that one. I think that um, he could have easily taken over for Jose Abreu when he decide, when if the White Sox decide he's a little too much money for them or he decides to retire even. But I do think that Abreu will stick with the Sox, but that's a different story. 
but I feel like Omar would be a good option for first base. And but you're getting Alex Colome, and he's a very lights out reliever. I thought that trade for Omar. Omar might be a blip in the radar. He might not. He might be a bit of a fluke. But I feel like Alex is a very good get back for that, and he's going to be very good for that bullpen. And I, I don't know if you saw this. I'm sure you probably saw it somewhere on Twitter. You know, that's that's what I find interesting about the off seasons right now in uh, baseball, the NFL, the NBA. The way the last five years has been a good four or five years. The way Twitter's just translated how we find out about this. Stuff. Yeah, you know, easily. I, I, I'm finding out about the. Fabled uh, Bryce Harper stuff and everything, <laughs> you know, the Machado stuff, everything on Twitter. It's interesting. It's cool, though. It's really neat. But uh, I have to ask you, did you know uh, the cool thing about getting Alex Colomay statistically? Have you uh, heard about his uh, big stat total in a certain spot? What's that, Will? He has the fifth most saves out of all the closers in baseball since 2016. Oh, really? He was not uh, entirely a closer because I remember seeing a stat that he or like had, set up and closer. Correction. Yeah, because he had like closer. ten holes and ten saves uh, just yeah. this past season, and that's like one of the first that I've ever done that. Yeah, yeah. He but seeing that total like saves whatever reliever he was or closer, I thought it was really cool just yeah. because Sash just got a freaking steal. If that's the case, that's yeah. that's incredible. And uh, there's a lot of players that have been rumored to talk about. I know. A year ago, I planned on talking about on this show, us possibly signing Manny Machado, Rick Kahn getting his big Christmas present. That yeah. might happen, but there's a different player that the White Sox are going for. As recent reports have shared that the Hall of Famer, Jim Tomey, our favorite former uh, Cleveland Indian Philadelphia Phil that was on the south side for a good five, six years, uh, with representatives from the Chicago White Sox, went to Las Vegas. I thought it was just a few days ago, the way the report came out about a week ago. November 19th. Oh, really? That's, that's a while, little good few weeks ago. So that's like more than a week, which is uh, really interesting that it yeah. just came out so long after. And uh, they went to go uh, talk with the native from Las Vegas, uh, outfielder formerly from the Washington Nationals, Bryce Harper, the left-handed bat, which I think is stands out to me more than Machado. You know, when I yeah, thought about here. these two players, about which uh, player sacks get, I think he has a better personality. But um, – it's a left-handed bat. Now, of course, we're going to be – we have Moncada. That's a switch hitter. You know, Timmy's a right-hand. They got some good bats, you know, with Brady and some of these other guys. Daniel Palco, I think, is going to be a good long-term DH with a Brady at first. How long, uh, as you mentioned, a Brady stays with the team. Hopefully, mm-hmm. it's more than a few years long-term like he hopes. But they need some more left-handed bats. I yeah. mean, some of these prospects, if you look at it, Eloy's a right-hander. Uh, Madrigal, I believe, is a right-hander. They have a lot of right-handed bats. Now, yeah, you can go and trade for a guy, but I don't think in the Sox case, thinking long-term, you don't want to trade for a 30-year-old that can bat left-handed. That That's not what Rick Hahn's trying to do. It's his long-term process. But when you heard this report about Tommy and the Sox reps going to meet with Bryce, what did it tell you about how serious that those rumors we read could be true? You know, I thought it was really interesting that they sent Tommy. I didn't understand it at first, but then I saw something on Twitter about someone saying that— um, That Mike guy, yeah, yeah. he's— he makes some very interesting tweets yeah. that makes him almost look like a real reporter. Oh, yeah. He said that um, – he brought up that Tomei was on the Phillies as well, and I kind of didn't connect that in my head. And having Jim Tomei, who is a very well-respected player – like Great personality, of baseball, too. Like, even former – like, a lot of people love Jim Tomei. I can't think of a single person that didn't like him. And he might be going to Bryce and being like, hey, I played for both the Phillies and the White Sox. Phillies are a top suitor for Bryce Harper, who I think do have a definite shot to sign him as well. But 
he probably enjoyed the South Side a little bit more. I know they play. He played on the Phillies for about the same time as the White Sox. Uh, I believe so. Wise. Yes, he was a little longer with the Indians. Yes. So I feel like Tomei meeting with Bryce Harper was actually kind of a smart and underrated move that I didn't think it's just kind of creative to me. Yeah. No, I, I think that's really great. But I know you have some of the players pulled up. Uh, we've good old MLBTradeRumors.com has a nice long list of players. We could, if we wanted to, we could name every player on here, but that would take all night, and we both have oh, yeah. <laughs> finals and everything coming up, uh, the good college experience. But what are some other outfielders? I know you were talking to me about it uh, a little while ago and before you came on tonight. Are there any like other outfielders, if we don't get a Bryce Harper, that really stand out to you? I'm really rooting for Bryce Harper, but I honestly do not believe that Bryce Harper will want to go to the White Sox. They just lost 100 games, and I feel like it's a little bit of an outside shot. They have the money, so maybe Bryce will be attracted to the money, and it looks like he would have a very good future here in Chicago. Scott Boris would love that uh, nice race, too. Oh, sure. yeah, definitely. But looking into like other options and a lot cheaper options, realistically, I think right field is a position where they might have someone. You could put Eloy there, even though he's oh, yeah. generally a left fielder, or he could even be DHing in the future. I think that specifically center field is where the White Sox should be looking. I like that. Um, okay. I think, I mean, Billy Hamilton just got dropped. But oh, he's a good speedster. He's a very good speedster. But you, we have Adam Engel, and I think that Engel is fine enough. Exactly. Where I think Billy Hamilton is not going to be the biggest upgrade. Yeah, Adam I Engel agree. had a yeah. gold glove season. But I feel like someone like Andrew McCutcheon or A.J. Pollock, I feel like those are very good short stop gaps until you get to Louis Robert. I like that. So I'm going to ask you a little probing question. You mentioned A.J. Pollock. Uh how, would you be uh, afraid if the Sox signed him maybe about his injury history? How would you feel about maybe some of his past in that situation? So with Pollock, I've also thought about this with the injuries. I feel like Pollock, when he is playing, he is elite. He has the opportunity to be – he has the potential to be elite. But, you know, you do look at that injuries. But another thing to kind of consider, even though we just um, parted ways with Herm Schneider, is that the White Sox generally have a very good staff like Oh, they're medical. great with the, you know uh, – injuries and everything like i remember they had a real big injury once uh the am the todd frazier thing yes. that happened with his eye and what do you know after a little talk with hawk here i said he's all good to go i mean even with Dan- danny farquhar earlier in the season where he had a um life-threatening yeah injury. a brain aneurysm yeah was the word i was looking for he herm schneider was able to get that right away and i feel like whoever the white Sox replace him with is not going to be as great as Herm because Herm is very well recognized throughout the 40 years. He was just 40 years. But you're going to get a good medical team even around him anyways. Yeah, and I I couldn't agree more. But we're already talking about the players. So the White Sox, they're in the rebuild still. A team's not completely out of the rebuild, I believe, until they're uh, close to contending, you know, first or second place spot in the division just because that's more of a view of contention. Third place is still right in the middle, fourth and fifth. That's a rebuilding team, maybe getting waiting for those players to come up or you know work their way up. But this win, the winter meetings can change anything. I remember oh, yeah. three or four years ago when uh, you know I was getting ready to go to bed for school, and all of a sudden I wake up in the morning and I see the report about the Samarja trade and David Robertson, the Todd Frazier move, and yeah, it. I, I think Rick Hahn. I, I know we're both gonna have different views on it, but I think uh, Rick Hahn has just done a really incredible job with this rebuild, the trade that. Uh, Sox fans didn't even think about was Quintana to the uh, Cubs because originally before that he almost went to the Brewers. Mm-hmm. God, the Brewers must just love Southside pitching the way it's been <laughs> the last few years. 
Um, but Rick Khan has just made this team special. Yeah, so Not just right now, but the future, I think, is going to be incredible. And the question is what they will do. I know we already made one trade, but I don't think Rick Khan is going to make a lot more trades unless it's like a real big need like the catcher. I don't think it's going to be Real Muto because it's going to cost a little oh, more. Oh, that'll be a little too expensive for the A little the more the than White the White Sox, Sox want to do with the prospect levels, you know, even the tiers. You know, I don't care if we have 10 or 15 outfielders. We want to keep that depth until we get good, and then we could trade through that depth. But anything can happen. And there's a player I have my heart set on. He's former Pittsburgh Pirate, uh, former San Francisco Giant. You could probably already tell him to talk about. But oh, yes. If Bryce Harper sadly goes to the Phillies, uh, best of luck to the Nats having to deal with him. It'd be funny to see Corbin, who was uh, supposedly uh, courted tightly by the Phillies, to uh, be uh, killing his uh, – uh, counterpart Bryce Harper yes. as rival Nats, but that would be interesting. We hope he comes to the Sox still, of course. But yes, definitely. My consolation, and he was my favorite for the Sox outfield before uh, we, when we were still in Machado, it's Andrew McCutcheon. I'm a big fan of his. He fits right with what you were talking about, I believe, a little bit in terms of the center field situation. He could play basically any spot in the outfield. I believe his bat has weakened compared to when he was with uh, you know Pittsburgh. That happens with age. He's only 32 years old, but I've seen his stats. He's still hitting a good 20, 30 home runs. You know, he gets on base when they need him to. He has a great arm and defense, but the thing that really strikes me about him is his leadership. You know, you yes. keep, they're going to keep Jose Abreu, I believe, for a long time. I don't think if Rick Hahn was going to trade him, he would have done it right after Quintana. He would have done it a lot sooner, I believe, uh, you know, with the rebuild. So I think those two would match great as co-leaders for the team. You know, McCutcheon for the outfield and the rest of the offense and Abreu for the whole team. It would kind of lessen the blow but also McCutcheon's played in the playoffs before and a lot of people have talked about in the media the White Sox needing that playoff experience in veterans yeah I think that Andrew McCutcheon actually would be a very good fit for the White Sox you are looking at a team that is very young who only has really one veteran presence in Jose Abreu you know we just dropped James Shields who is very good with the pitching staff and and training them and keeping them up but I feel like Andrew McCutcheon would be a great leader for this clubhouse He's going to go very well with Jose. Now, obviously, Andrew McCutcheon's bat and even Glove have kind of fallen off a little bit. Just looking at his past season, 255 is a little bit off. 20 home runs, though, 368 on base percentage. So there is still stuff in that bat and in his eyes with uh, getting a lot of walks and stuff. But I really think that Andrew McCutcheon is a good fit, but he will not be a permanent fit, obviously. I think he'd be great on a two-year deal. Yeah, I actually had it in a ballpark of three years, 48. So it's like right about two years. Yeah. You give him that option year three if he's keeping it up. Yeah, that's what an option year three would be good. But I think the thing that will decide that is our future center fielder, uh, Luis Robert. That would kind of depend on his timetable because he was going to be up, I think, uh, the way Chris Bryant was. And probably, I'm going to guess, I'm going to pick this up random. after April day, I'm going to pick May 15th or May 14th. Something in that ballpark gives them some time to get those jitters out and come up. And I'm going to ask you, I know we were talking about uh, the pitching. You were talking about the pitching yeah. earlier on a little bit. There's a pitcher that's from Illinois. Now, of course, he's being tightly quartered by the team that traded for him at the deadline, the New York Yankees. But a J.A. Happ, or I'm going to throw in two other names, uh, Giovanni Gallardo is a very interesting name. He had a pretty good career in his time with the Brewers. He sadly fell off when he was with the Rangers, but he's yeah. still a good arm. 
Gio Gonzalez too, who apparently the Sox traded twice. So yeah, what of those three names, which one would stand out to you the most about maybe a replacement and uh, a cheaper version of James Shields? I'm not too sure about Gallardo or um, Gio Gonzalez. I feel like they've fallen off a little bit, but J.A. Happ has very has surprised a lot of people. The past few years, he has been a good, solid number, like mid rotation pitcher, and J.A. Happ is very good for the White Sox, and I think that he. Act- they have an upper edge with him. He went to Northwestern. He's from Chicago. He is definitely going to be want to play in Chicago, maybe to be closer to his family. I'm not sure where he ends up living these days, but I feel like J.A. Happ is a very good pitcher that the White Sox would get, a good veteran presence. But I also want to throw in a few other names. like I think a, someone that is up and coming that fell off when he got traded from the Braves to the Diamondbacks Shelby Miller. Oh, I didn't expect to hear that. You got to uh, elaborate a little bit on that one. So Shelby Miller with the Braves, elite pitcher. He was amazing. He got traded to the he got traded to the Diamondbacks and really fell off that one first year and then never oh. really got back on track. He's yeah, definitely, definitely improved himself, but I feel like Shelby Miller is someone that Don Cooper can fix. Oh, he's a miracle worker. Don Don can work people. Sometimes it doesn't work. We saw. I mean, we saw Matt Latos. We saw Derek Holland. They both were good. Um, they both were improving drastically, and then they just completely hit a brick wall and collapsed. I feel like Shelby Miller is young enough and has the talent to actually stick with a Don Cooper like resurgence project. I actually really like that name, James. You really did your homework on this offseason <laughs> stuff. So now it's time. You know, we talked about Harper. We talked about the visit. We talked about a lot of different things. Now it's time. For us to play Rick Hahn. We each get to be Rick Hahn tonight. Oh, I'd love to be that in that GM role of the White Sox in real life, like all the fans dream of doing. We both probably have dreamt that before when we watched all the things unfold. Uh, so we're each going to play Rick Hahn and paint a picture of how the White Sox can make. We're going to pick – okay, here's how we're going to narrow it down. We're going to pick three big offseason signings at the winter meetings, uh, free agents, and then we're going to pick two possible trades after those signings or in between – and uh, how that can unfold in the offseason. So I'm going to let you start first, James. Mr. Rick Hahn, for uh, a portion of the show, what do you want to do? All right, so I was thinking, since we just traded Omar Narvaez, I feel like a catcher is definitely someone that the White Sox are going to try for in the offseason. Now, I'm not saying anything like big, like Asmani Grandal, who would be a good pick. We have Wellington Castillo as the interim catcher, and he will probably be the starter. You're going to want to get someone a little bit of a backup, who can play well. I'm looking at James McCann, who just got dropped from the Detroit Tigers. I feel like he's a, he handles the ball very well behind the plate, a better defensive catcher, okay hitting, but I feel like Wellington Castillo is the one to be like the big bomber, and I feel like James McCann is going to be a good... And he knows the division. Yes, and he knows the division. He was a Detroit Tiger, and he played decently well in his division, where I think that he would be a very sneaky grab for the White Sox, and probably not a very expensive one at that. No. So now you have two more free agent signings and two possible trades. What are your next two signings for the 2019 Chicago White Sox? All right. So, I mean, we did start about outfielders, and I definitely think that they could use someone in center field, but I'm actually going to go to pitching for both starting and relieving for these two free agent signings. Now, starting pitching, we talked about a J.A. Happ. I feel like they need someone that is going to be more he's going to anchor the rotation a little bit with Carlos Rodon up at the top. I feel like J.A. Happ would slot in very nicely as a number two, or you even have Reynaldo Lopez as a number two, assuming that he can be on like he was at the end of last season. So I'm thinking J.A. Happ would be a very good signing for the White Sox. Now, bullpen help. They 
they need it. The bullpen was not very good down the stretch. I feel like they played very well in September. Nate, good old Nate Jones. That's yeah. my favorite right there. The White Sox <laughs> played very well going in from August and September, but the bullpen was just very, very underwhelming. And I feel like they need someone to get get them going. They need a flamethrower. Joe Kelly. Ooh, that's a, that's a Red Sox move to the White yes. Sox. Joe Kelly's a very interesting name. Yeah, Joe Kelly throws over 100 pretty much on the dot every time. He is a. I feel like the White Sox don't have very many flamethrowers. Now, Nate Jones, he had Tommy John. He's about like 96, 97 these days. He's not as uh, flamethrowing as much. 96, 97 is still very fast, but you're going to want someone Zach a little Birdie bit fast. joining too. Zach Birdie would be another one, even though he's just also coming back from Tommy John. And I know he'll be ready for the next off se- or spring training. Exactly. But yeah, I definitely think someone like Joe Kelly, another cheap option. In my head, I'm not going for anyone expensive. Other than if you try to go for Bryce Harper or a Manny Machado or one of the big name free agents. It sounds like somebody wants Nolan Arenado next year the way it's sounding. I really want Nolan Arenado. I'm personally I'm not the biggest fan of Manny Machado with them signing him. I don't think he's a great fit. Short personality especially. Personality also, but he wants to play shortstop. They have Tim Anderson at shortstop and Manny Machado this past season playing shortstop, he was a lot worse than he was at third yes. base. If you can move Machado to third base, maybe I do it. But I feel like Arenado is a better pickup for next season. Could you see that as one of your two trade options if the White Sox are suddenly able to to make these good moves? I, I like the direction you're going with the uh, watching the cost because they still have a good high salary. Yeah. You know, they're still going to be you know 2020. There might be one. I like that approach. That's a really that almost seems more Rick Hahn like you yeah. know long term approach. Uh, what could you see Arenado as one of those two trade options you have left to use? I'm actually not sure about that because I feel like Nolan Arenado is going to play it by ear with the Rockies. If the Rockies make the playoffs for next season, Arenado is definitely going to probably re-sign with Colorado because he does like it in Colorado. But if he, if Colorado plummets, they might trade him at the deadline. Now, I know we talked about um, Manny Machado being traded to the White Sox last offseason when he was with Baltimore. And I thought it was kind of a interesting idea. I don't think Arenado as a trade asset would be really would do much for them. They're going to try mm-hmm. to extend him. Yeah. But I feel like Arenado, if he gets traded, he's going to want to test that free agent market. Yeah, exactly. So I, I love those Rick Hahn moves you made, James. Very good. I think uh, hopefully he's going to do something. I mean, we just saw Goldsman go to the Cardinals. Oh, uh, yeah. To scare the Cubbies. So us White Sox fans are looking forward to that. So I've been waiting to play this role before the winter meetings. I've been like a kid on Christmas ready for winter meetings. That feels like uh, when Christmas is coming, the only way you know that, in my view, as a big baseball fan, is the winter meetings are already underway or getting ready to get started. Yes. That is how I know Christmas is close. And I'm going to start with – I'm surprisingly not going to start with outfield yet. I am going to go in the infield. Now, this is something I read about in some of the reports uh, that some of the guys uh, with the White Sox – uh, talk podcast, some of the other media outlets. I believe it was John Heyman talking about it a little bit um, in the tw- in the media is bringing an infielder to maybe be a stopgap. We might see Moncada move to third, which yes. I think is really a better fit for him. Uh, I think his defense is good. His bat's pretty good. Of course, he did have those strikeout issues, but even Chris Bryant had that with the Cubs when he was coming up. Mm-hmm. A lot of those hitters, when the young hitters, when they come up, struggle with that situation, getting used to the pitching. And even if they do well at first, you're getting out those other, you know, rust pieces. I would love, a, and this is going to surprise you, a Brian Dozier two-year deal 
to the White Sox only because it kind of ties in with what you said a bit with James McCann. The White Sox don't want to just bring in veterans, and I'm not comparing this to the Ryan Rayburn of the past or anything, but I think Dozier is a good personality. I mean, he was obviously yeah, pretty definitely. well liked with the Twins. Um, you know, when Torrey Hunter left, he took the reins uh, with Joe Maurer as that veteran, but I think Brian Dozier's not going to command too much money. He didn't really have, after he was traded, the best, you know, regular season and playoffs as uh, the Dodgers would have liked. I mean, he did get some big hits for them, the old, good old Brian Dozier style, but I could see him going for a uh, two-year, $22 million deal with an option for year three in case, like we were saying with Robert in that case, Madrigal uh, takes a little while. I, lo- I never really thought of Brian Dozier as an option. Dozier, when he is on, he has a very good, powerful bat. I mean, he hit 40 home runs two seasons ago. He even had an, he had an offseason this past season when he was with Minnesota and with the Dodgers after the midseason trade. But I feel like Dozier is... He's getting up there in age, so it might not be all there. But one thing I do like about power hitters in Chicago, they can have an easy way for home runs. Him and Palka would be a great match. Yes, oh, my God. Definitely. I can see it right now. Yeah, I never really thought of Dozier. I feel like the White Sox might stick around with Moncada at second or move him to third for this year, and they could just move Yomer over to second until they feel like they yeah. are ready with Nick Madrigal. Definitely. But I do like the idea of Brian Dozier if he is on a better, more cheaper deal. You're not going to sign him for long term. I feel like a one or two year deal would be perfect for him if they signed him. Now my next two moves, I'm going to go a little rapid fire because we got to get to the. I mean, we're almost ready to get to this movie segment. We're so oh, yeah. excited for it, and I know the listeners are as well. I know it's going to be your first time on it, so hopefully you're ready. Yeah. I can't wait to hear your movie choice. So my next two, I'm going to go with. Oh, there's so many pictures to look at. Let's see. I am going to go with a no, not Derek Allen. Good lord. I'm going to stick with J.A. Happ along with you. I will give him a – just because he's going to want a good contract, you know, last final contract with his age at 36. I give him a three years, uh, $40 million max. Yeah. Actually about 42 mil, exact same that Melvin Cabrera got. But I am going to sign my final free agent. This will be in the winter meetings in Las Vegas. I believe it will be – now, this is the fun thing about prediction. We can pick any way we want it to happen. Yes. Rick Hahn is going to notice out of nowhere – that the Phillies are inches close. He's going to find out, like, from the least likeliest person you'd expect, that the Phillies are this close to signing Bryce Harper. So he's going to quickly call up Scott Boris before the Phillies do, pull a little move uh, on Rizzo and the Nats again, like he did he had that trade with Sale to Boston. Yeah. But he's going to do it on their former player, as the White Sox will sign Bryce Harper to a nine-year, $345 million deal, but structuring in a way that doesn't cripple the payroll too much. Oh, yeah. Now, my two trades, it's it's kind of an interesting move. It goes along with catcher. It's kind of like what we're seeing right now with, you know, Jan Gomes going to the Nationals, then Kurt Suzuki signing. I have the White Sox trading within the division for catcher. It's kind of an interesting move for me. It's not really my favorite team in the division, but they're in a rebuilding phase. Yeah. Salvador Perez to the Chicago White Sox by trade. Hmm. I think would be a really interesting move because he goes with, I mean – just uh, I'll let you process that real quick. That surprise uh, yeah. what I gave you. What What are you thinking? So I feel like Salvador Perez, in a way, is overrated as a catcher. Um, I feel like with I mean he was the all star, starting all star catcher this past season. But Salvador Perez is another very good leadership. He's amazing leader. A lot of people are, he's very well respected around the league. I feel like Salvador Perez might cost a little up there. 
but you do need to kind of bring down the Royals' expectations. Exactly. I feel like the Royals have someone that they could trade, and I feel like the, I feel like he would be a pretty good fit for and the White Sox. You need the pitching prospects too, probably. Yes. I mean, they their pitching is not too pretty. They have a little more. Uh, if you look at their farm offensive, I mean, the White Sox got one of their pitching prospects in uh, that trade for uh, Melky Cabrera to go back to Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, with AJ Puckett, they gotta players to think about with the White Sox, the, so many names they have. But my final trade before we get into the movie segment is going to be, and I'm trying to think, God, there's so many names. I am going to go with a reliever. It's similar to what happened with Edwin Diaz, but it's, it is kind of a dream scenario for me. He's one of my favorite pitchers in uh, the White Sox reliever history. Bring back Ashton Reed. The guy was just incredible for the yes. White Sox. And, and that would be another division trade, actually, with the Twins. Because he's got, I did not know he was I believe he's got now. one more year with the Twins. If if they trade him uh, before that, that's news to me. But I believe it was with the Twins the last I checked. But uh, that would be my final trade. And uh, before we close out this uh, fun segment, God, it's been so much fun yes, talking definitely. to White Sox with you, James, and having you on tonight for that. What are your uh, closing thoughts on how the winter meetings can unfold? I feel like the White Sox are going to be very busy in the winter meetings. Do they make trades? Do they make signings? I honestly don't know. I feel like it depends on what other teams are doing. If I feel like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado might get signed in this winter meetings. Will the White Sox sign Manny Machado? No. Will they sign Bryce Harper? They do have the potential to, and I feel like I feel like we're going to see Bryce Harper get signed by someone. And as far as the White Sox go, I feel like they're going to fill one or two needs. I feel like a bullpen arm is definitely going to be signed, and maybe even that rotation spot that is, that was left vacant by James Shields. Could not agree more, and as we mentioned, we here at Will's 5th Quarter Special will continue to keep you updated. Maybe a positive, uh, I don't want to let it out, but something surprise will be coming in either episode form or Facebook Live. We'll have to see as the winter meetings will unfold, expecting the unexpected, as they would say, in the game of baseball. Now heading in to brief update on the Chicago Cubs there in the rumor mill about Andrew Miller to add to their bullpen. So we don't know if that'll happen for sure, but we at Will's 5th Quarter Special will keep you updated on all things Chicago Cubs in the offseason as the Chicago Bulls will keep updated on their regular season as a quick mention on the report of the firing of former head coach at Iowa State that was with the Bulls for just a few years, Fred Hoiberg, who was replaced as a permanent head coach was Jim Boylan, his assistant coach, formerly of the San Antonio Spurs. Now heading into the favorite ending signature of Will's fifth quarter special, and James is ready to start it off first, Will's sports movie moment. We all have our favorite moments, not just in the sports we watch, but in our own favorite sports movies. This segment gives myself and my guest co-host and the listeners at home a chance to connect their favorite sports movie and compare it to modern-day sports. Listeners can now hop onto the podcast, Facebook, and Twitter page and post their own sports movie moment favorite. James, in the spirit of the show, I always let the guest calls go first. So fire away. What is your first ever movie moment choice? All right, I'm actually going to go with the movie I just recently saw over uh, Thanksgiving break, Creed 2. Oh, you, you, uh, <laughs> I, you, I'm playing you a little know bit my too. love of Rocky. I know okay. you love Rocky, but I feel like this is a very good example for any sports, for any sport out there. Now, I don't want to spoil a lot of Creed 2, but I will say one loss, one win, fight. And, you know, there's the drama in the middle. And I feel like this is for any rebuilding team out there. Some people are going to go from 0 to 100. We saw it with the Cubs and the Astros and the MLB. We've seen it with the Bears who recently just had to gut their team, and then now they're Bye-bye, Jay Cutler. Thank God. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I feel like any team that is rebuilding – 
and they are looking at the light at the end of the tunnel. Any Rocky movie, or in this specific case, Creed Two, is exactly. a good pick for any rebuilding team out there. Oh, I love that movie choice. Oh God, that's <laughs> that's you, you, you really prepared on that one. That's one of my favorites. I saw that as well, and it's it it was uh, the first time I had tears in my eyes of joy after a uh, action movie, just how incredible that movie yeah. was just so moving. And I think that's a great first uh, movie moment choice, James. Very good start for you on the show. <laughs> uh, can't wait to hear your next one whenever you're on in the future. Yeah, definitely. And my choice, I always wait till the end to choose it. I am going to not pick a Rocky movie surprise. Wow. I am going to pick – it's football related, but it's going to be – it's called draft day. A, a yes, lot of people have heard about it, and I'm not talking about the draft part. It's the closing scene where you see that what you mentioned. I'm going to follow that, the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's after uh, Sonny Weaver Jr., played well by Kevin Costner, is uh, you know there to start the kickoff of the new season. You know His girlfriend, probably future fiance that worked with the team at Salary Cap, uh, played well by Jennifer Garner, is uh, having his child. You know, so they're at the game, you know, in the nice little skybox. We all wish we were in at games. And they're looking at the team. Now, I'm actually going to compare this to baseball, surprisingly, not uh, football. And I'm going to compare it to the White Sox. And what we're going to see in the next few years mm-hmm. is uh, Rick Hahn, you know, with Reinsdorf. And uh, Rick, hopefully Ricky Renteria in the dugout. If it's not, maybe it's Joe Girardi getting the Chicago team. We don't know. Yeah. Because uh, it's still two years is two years in the future. But I see that being, you know, uh, them looking on kind of like Kevin Costner was and, you know, the owner uh, taking the joking credit, you know, uh, their owner Molina was mm-hmm. the last name of the owner in draft day. And he's uh, getting compliments from uh, the people attending the Skybox uh, with that crew, kind of like the former players or whoever was allowed to come in there with them for that game in the movie. Uh, you know, he's like, oh, it, it it was great moves in the offseason, you know, and uh, I – this was funny how the owner just joked saying, oh, I had this all planned out myself. And then there's the classic Kevin Costner chuckle like we would see in Field of Dreams. <laughs> and that is how I picture Reinsdorf uh, being approached. And, uh, you know, I think he'll give the credit to Rick Hahn, obviously, because he's the GM, mm-hmm. you know, to the own and Reinsdorf's the owner. So Rick Hahn's really the one pulling all the hoops and pulling all the strings and everything running through the hoops uh, in the offseason. But I think that's what the White Sox have seen two years. We'll see an outfield of Robert. And, uh, yes, I'm going to say Bryce Harper in right field. I am not going <laughs> to give up on that until he officially signs somewhere. Uh, Madrigal, Obreu, Timmy, uh, Moncada, and that whole crew together. And I think that will be the year they win the World Series in, I'm going to say, 2020. I Yeah, I kind of agree. 2020, I think, is a good playoff year for the White Sox. So they're going to have all their big guys up. I'm going to say 2021 more for World Series, but 2020, I feel like they're going to actually be kind of surprises. And that just that's my movie moment choice. I know people are going to expect me to relate to football. I can already hear yeah. uh, the people close to me. Now, I love my family to death, my close friends back home in Lansing, but they, they know uh, I love that movie for some reason, but there's a good reason. It, it brings a good story. And I think even though it's a football movie, it connects well to baseball. That's all the time we have in episode 22 of Will's fifth quarter special. Tune in next time to a special monthly Facebook Live, as I mentioned. That might be during the winter meetings. We don't know yet as it unfolds. But look for one coming up this month for more fifth quarter sports talk and to reveal the guest calls for the next episode, episode 23. I want to thank James Kalianis for coming on tonight as the guest host. And it was a fun time talking sports. So, James, 
I wish I would have met you sooner when I was yeah. here. I'm already graduating. We just met earlier this semester. It's been uh, just incredible. Uh, you know, you're a good friend to me now. Uh, somebody I enjoy talking sports with over at uh, Z&D on campus, especially our White Sox. So thanks for coming on tonight and uh, joining the Fifth Quarter Sports Talk, man. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great to be on the show at least once before you graduate. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll be getting you on before you know it. Don't yes, worry. I'm we'll hoping. get you on in the future. We yes. will. And uh, a special thanks goes to uh, Hector Carrion. Uh, for joining us on the Collegiate Sports segment. So thank you, Hector. When the fourth quarter buzzer sounds, turn to us for your fifth quarter sports talk. I'm your host, Will Farlow, with James Kalianis, our co-host, and Hector Carrion saying so long from Will's fifth quarter special.